welcome to Faith to You podcast. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm here with Pastor Caleb. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So we've been spending some time in 1 Corinthians in our Sunday services, and we'll continue that for a few weeks. But there's a lot of stuff from those that, that sort of built off of, of chapter 5. And so I just want to read some verses, and then mm-hmm. I'll ask you, ask you some questions about that. Uh, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexually immoral people among you and that kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? And so Paul is is writing to this Corinthian church about sin and and he's he's pretty upset about about what's going on and, and... what can we learn from how Paul responds to sin and how should we respond mm. to sin? You know, um, there's, there's sort of two ways that people respond. One is the way the Corinthian church is responding by like um, just sort of being arrogant about it and not dealing with it. Um, you know, it's sort of like cover up the check engine light and maybe it'll go away. Or maybe they're just like trying to celebrate that they're so gracious. You know, we're going to accept this guy even though he's living in this, this illicit relationship. Um, the other side of it is like the vigilante. Like, you know, um, they come in with guns blazing and they're ready to, like, kill the perpetrator. Um, and there's a, almost a self-righteousness there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the answer is actually more in the middle. Um, he says, shouldn't you be grieved? Like, when you see sin, your initial reaction should be your heart is broken, that this person has chosen to exalt this thing in their life over God. Instead of fearing God, they've, they've refused. And then, and then you remove that person from you. But it's so important that, that, that the attitude with which you're removing that person from the congregation is an attitude of, of grief, of brokenhearted, that you're not seeing yourself as superior or I don't sin that way, but oh, somebody's fallen. Yeah. Our hearts are broken. Yeah. And, and with sin, I think sometimes we could read, you know, 1 Corinthians and we just look at the, the types of sin and mm-hmm. we, like to, we like to categorize categorized thing here, but uh, what's like the, the overarching theme of the type of sin yeah. that Paul's talking about here? It, it's so important to make a distinction here because it's really easy to think that there's certain sins that like the church doesn't put up with. If you've ever done this, well, then you better never come to church. Right. That's not what Paul's saying. And he'll make lists. The point of the list isn't these, are, these sins are unforgivable sins. What he's talking about is unrepentant sin. What he's talking about is a lifestyle of sin. Where, where people have said, this, this is who I'm living with. I'm yeah. living with my, with my stepmom. I'm going to sleep with my stepmom. Deal with it. Yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever the sin is, you know, like, hey, I get drunk on the weekends. I need to do that. That's how, that's how you know, I cut loose or whatever. No, you, you have to repent. So it's, it's unrepentant sin. It's yeah. the person who's just going to continue in it willfully and refuses to, to repent, to receive help, um, to try to fight against that and overcome it in their own life. Yeah, and that's a, a really, really important thing for us, for us to remember. Paul continues in verse 3, he says, Even though I'm absent in the body, I am present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is some pretty firm words from Paul. And so when he's talking about handing someone over to Satan, 
Uh, when does this happen? You know, um, this is one of the arguments for why we need to assemble together. Mm. That sounds weird, right? Yeah. Like, wait, we're talking about like, we're talking about church discipline, right? Church discipline. And to have church discipline, you have to be assembled. So he says right here that when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus. So this requires the church to come together as a body. And what's interesting about that is when the church comes together as a body, there's a power there. Mm. There's a power um, to hand this person over um, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. You know, it's interesting that right after um, Jesus get, you know, tell, tells Peter he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom, he talks about church discipline. And he talks about binding and loosing. That the church is the, is the organism that does this church discipline, that cuts somebody off, that receives somebody into, mem- into itself through baptism. That's, that's the prerogative of the church upon the earth, which is one of the reasons that it's essential that we gather together regularly. Right, right. And, and so as, and I think it, it keeps us from you know, sort of this this pride, this arrogance of mm. I'm the one going around doing, right. you know, telling people what's right and what's wrong. It, it helps, you know, balance things out. Um, and who do who do we hand the center over to? You know, that that's so weird, right? Because it says here, hand them over to Satan yeah. for the destruction of their flesh. Um, Where do I find him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the... You might think, you know, like Satan is, is the enemy, right? But what you see is God's sovereign. God's sovereign over Satan. Satan doesn't do anything outside of God's um, prerogative. So you're handing this person over to Satan. And what that means specifically, it's not that you're like, um, hey, you need to go to the Satanist church now. You know, like, <laughs> uh, we've transferred your membership. You're now a member of the Satanist church down the street. No, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing when you hand them over to Satan you are spiritually removing the protection that exists for every member of the body of Christ. Yeah. As a member of the body of Christ, I'm sanctified, I'm set apart. There's a protection that I have, a spiritual protection that I have. And the church is saying, we're removing this mantle from you. We're taking away this protection from you. And what that means is um, you're, Satan can do whatever he wants to you now. Um, you're not, you do not have the protection of the church about you. You're, you're left out there, um, you know, behind enemy lines. Yeah. And we're not protect. We're calling out, we're calling off all air support. And you're left there by yourself. That, that's what happens when you hand them over to Satan. Yeah, and so as, as that, that process is, is going on, you mentioned Jesus' words on, on church discipline. What should be the, the motivation that, that I would have as a church member and we should have as a church Forehanding mm-hmm. someone over. Yeah, because I mean, that sounds really mean, right? right. Like, yeah. send it behind enemy lines and then call off the air support. Like, what in the world? Like, that we were supposed to be identified by our love. Well, the motivating factor is when you hand them off, there's two things that happen. It says their, their flesh is destroyed. And, and so, what, what happens as everything goes wrong in their life and they're chastened by the Lord, they reach that point where, like the prodigal son in the pig pen, he realizes, okay, this isn't what I thought it was yeah. going to be. This is not making me happy. The, the world will pursue sin um, until they realize it's never going to satisfy. And so, the destruction of their flesh is reaching that point where you realize, I'm not satisfied. And then the second reason is for the salvation of their soul. And the one leads to the next. The chastening leads to that place of, of repentance. You see that in the story of the prodigal. That he reaches this place where he's like, 
man, in my father's house, even the slaves had leftovers. Right. I'm going to go back because I know my father's good. And so you, you remove that mantle of spiritual protection so that everything will fall apart in their life spiritually and they'll long for the fellowship of the saints once again and they'll repent and come back. Yeah, so it's, it's, you're, not, you're not motivated by wanting to push them away, but you're actually motivated by, I want to have yeah. them back again without the sin. Right, and I mean, this, this is one of the reasons we like to avoid, you know, calling it like church discipline. Really, it's church restoration. That's the goal. The goal is restoration. Always the yeah. goal is restoration. Yeah, and it's, it's incredible to, I mean, been a part of this church now for over 15 years and to see the process work mm-hmm. out in restoration so many times, it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. In verse 6, Paul says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what reason does Paul give here for removing the sinner from the congregation? He, he describes the sinner in the congregation at first as, as leaven in dough. Um, and the picture here is, is in the Old Testament um, at Passover. They're supposed to get all leaven out of their house. Um, and you, you might remember God told them to begin this so that very first Passover. You know, they're supposed to leave and there was supposed to be any time for the, the bread to rise. And so they have that, that flat bread that has no leaven. And he's describing the community of saints as a sanctified community. But he's saying we have a responsibility in that sanctification process of, of removing people from our midst that we know mm-hmm. are practicing sin. And, and what, what's so important here is to recognize um, the only way this can happen is if all of us are being vigilant to consider each other and stir each other up to love and good works. Yeah. And as we do that, um, there's no way I can be aware of people who are, who are willfully sinning in the congregation. You know? um, and occasionally, you know, people will um, come and they'll be like, yeah, this person has been going to the church for years and they're doing this. I can't believe you guys let them continue coming. We didn't know that. <laughs> you did? Yeah. You know, it never says... The pastor puts them out, right? It never says the pastor is the one who turns them. It says the church is. Right. It's we. It's us collectively. And so what that means is if, if you see someone sinning, you're the person who's supposed to go to them. If you see your brother sinning, you go to them. Why? Because we need to get all the leaven out of here because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And, and one of the things that he brings to bear here that I, I, I mentioned this verse a couple weeks ago, and I didn't really talk about it in a corporate sense. I was talking about it in an individual sense, that you are an unleavened, you are unleavened dough. Mm-hmm. What that means is the church is unleavened dough. And so when you see something, you're like, oh, you know, should we put them out? They're not of us. That person is, leaven is not a part of what we are. We are, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart for his purpose. And so we're not sending out somebody who's, who's somebody who's, who's like us. We're some, sending out somebody who needs to be removed from us. That, that's not a part of who we are as an unleavened bread. Yeah, and that's, that's why it's so important to, to clean it. Yeah. To clean it out. Uh, in, in verse 8, Paul talks about uh, a feast mm. that we're to observe. What, what is he talking about there? So, um... In the, in the Corinthian church, they would gather together and they would remember the Lord um, in, in communion every single Sunday. 
And so when he's talking about the feast, he's talking about when you gather together, they would eat and they would break bread. And you see that later on when he gives directions for it, that they're getting together every single Sunday and they're having a feast together and they're breaking bread. And it's, it's echoing the Passover feast. And the Passover feast, they had to get rid of all the leaven. So he's saying, hey, when you come together for communion, it's essential that you've identified the people in your midst who are willfully sinning and that you've approached them, you've confronted them, and that you've sent them out from you. As you come to this feast, it's important for the community to be sanctified. Wow. Wow. And so how do, how do we ob- observe that, that feast? It, mm. looks, it looks different yeah. for us now. Yeah. I imagine the feast Paul's talking about is not a little teeny cracker and a little cup of grape juice. Yeah. <laughs> so he gives, he gives two negatives and two positives, <clears throat> right? And so it, it's, it's much more about what's intrinsic than what's extrinsic. Right. And you might think like all of this um, charge to get rid of the evil person, all that stuff, that you're like, you've now come together and you've gotten rid of all those evil people and you're sitting here like, oh man, oh, those yeah. people out there <laughs> and you're angry. And he's like, no, no malice. You're not here like with malice in your heart towards those people you just sent out. You're not here with evil, vile thoughts. That's not who you are anymore. Your heart's broken over their sin. You come together humbly recognizing, I don't deserve this. And I've repented and Jesus has cleansed me from my sins. And that's why I'm purified and I'm able to partake of this. And that's why he says with sincerity and truth. You're sincere in recognizing I need this to sustain me. And in truth means I'm letting his light shine in all my life. There's... There's nothing that I have that I need to confess. There's nothing I have that I need to repent of. And that's that personal responsibility we have when we come to communion to make sure we're not being malicious towards anybody else. Right. And, and this, this charge, it can, it can be tempting to do that. When you know you have a responsibility to go to your brother when you see him in sin, it's not with malice in your heart. And don't bring that to the Lord's table when you're dealing with Church is when it's so tempting, yeah, because uh, it's so painful when people sin against you, and then when they refuse to repent, it's so tempting to think that vengeance is mine, yeah. but it's not. Brokenness is mine over their sin. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very important thing to remember, especially if someone is struggling with a sin, maybe that we don't, yeah, we don't struggle with, and we we think, tend to think of it as like un, totally unlike my sin. Right. So the last the last few verses. Uh, that, that I want to talk about today, starting in verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. And so how, just to sort of summarize up a lot of what we're talking about, how do we treat sinners who claim to be believers? So he's, he's telling us we need to make a distinction here. And so the, this hard line that we take, um, the people that we're judging, right, are insiders. Mm-hmm. We're not judging outsiders. And so, you know, you might have Christians and you come to them and you say, brother, you're in sin. And they, what do they say? Don't judge me. Uh, well, actually, the Bible says we do judge <laughs> each other. We do judge insiders. Um, and what that means is when I see you continuing a life of greed, 
um, where you're, you are owned by the love of money and I approach you about that and you say, no, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, I see you and you're um, an idolater, you're verbally abusive, a drunkard, a swindler, um, sexually immoral, any of these things and you are willfully defying God's law and you are dedicating yourself to the pursuit of these sins without a repentant heart, these are the people that were to judge. And what that means is we put them out from us. And he goes so far to say, don't even eat with them. Like, don't associate with them. Don't even eat with them. Um, like, think about that, right? Like, if, if there's somebody in the church that's under church discipline, and you're like, you know, somewhere, and they're there, and they're like eating, you leave. Wow. That's harsh. Yeah. But why, why are we doing that? Because we want to get through to that person's no, like we don't eat with you. We don't have anything in common with you because you're not one of us. You're pretending like you're one of us, but continuing in sin and Christians don't do that. Why, why does the world say that we're all hypocrites? Because we're not dealing with the mm. sin in our midst. We're not demonstrating like public repentance. We need to be doing that so that the world looks at us and says, oh yeah, you know, they, they actually do practice what they preach. They put those people out who are like that. Those people aren't Christians. And what that means is that we've, we've put out the people who are leavening the bread because that's not who we are. And so, you know, on, on that note, we, I know we're not supposed to refuse to eat with everyone right. who's not righteous. So what about the person who is not claiming to be a believer, do we do we eat with them? Right, and you can see like where people would go. They're like, yeah. well, okay, so Let's go live in a compound. sexually immoral <laughs> people, um, these people are living in Corinth, right. right? So like they're like, okay, well, where do we go then? No, he, he says you'd have to go out of this world. Like you have to go live on the moon or something, right? <laughs> no, he says obviously I'm not talking about that. And as a matter of fact, those are the people Jesus came to, the sexually immoral, the greedy. Like think about it, Zacchaeus, the woman caught in the act. These these sins mm. are the sins that Jesus is moving towards those sinners. He's not judging them. He's moving towards them with his grace, with his compassion, with his forgiveness. That's how we're supposed to treat those people. Yeah. Very different from the person who says, I'm a Christian, but I'm gonna continue willfully in sin. And the person who's a slave of sin and they live like it. There should be a marked difference between the way that we treat the, the homosexual who doesn't claim to be a Christian, a homosexual who does, Yeah. right? And that's the distinction there. We should be moving towards them in love. We do not judge them. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for our discussion today. Hopefully it inspired you to dive deep into God's word and we pray that you would, would follow the truth wherever it leads. God bless. Thanks for listening.